At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to Edge of Sports, the podcast. I'm Dave Zirin, and I am back from Rio de Janeiro, site of the 2016 Summer Olympics. And this week's show reflects that in rather dramatic fashion. This is a protest right behind me against the engagement of Workers' Party President Dilma Rousseff. The Senate vote is tomorrow. If you look at the Golpe signs, you'll notice Golpe means coup, and the sign in the O is the sign for the Global News Network, what is effectively the Fox News of Brazil, although if Fox News was like the only station in an entire country. That's what's happening behind me. It's absolutely stunned. I'm here at Vila Autodromo. Four years ago, there were 800 families here uh, who were in danger of being removed for the Olympic Games. It's now down to 20 families. We have a very special show this week, a newsmaking show, a show that will be of interest to journalists from Toronto to Porto Alegre. I sat down with the mayor of Rio, Eduardo Paish, for a no-holds-barred discussion about the Olympics, displacement, and corruption, and whether Rio is even ready to host the Games. Then, I sit down with Rio-based activist Teresa Williamson from an organization called Catalytic Communities. And Teresa does a point-by-point rebuttal to Mayor Paish. I think what you'll hear is that there is a battle for the narrative of what is happening to Rio de Janeiro. Despite all the problems of the country, we brought 40 million people out of poverty in the past 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. The reality is that when the Olympics decision was announced, it all of a sudden created a pretext that made it possible for the mayor to get away with this sort of forced evictions on this scale, which he would have never been able to get away with in a regular period. So without further ado, let's start our interview where I am face to face across a table from Rio Mayor Eduardo Paish. Do you feel like Rio's ready for the Olympics? Yes. There's always this issue of being, I mean, when, when you look at Brazil, at the political situation, the economic situation, I mean, this natural mistrust about, you know, Brazil delivering things, mm-hmm. uh, it even increases. But uh, the Olympics are on time, on schedule. I mean, everything has been delivered. I mean, we still have something to do in the velodrome. We're in the final works there. There's a stadium that we had a problem with the contractor there. But the Olympic Park in Baja is great. The Olympic Park in Deodoro is great. All the mm. venues are ready. And, I mean, there's a great legacy for the city, so I'm pretty excited about it. If you look at the protests that the country's been facing a lot in the past year, uh, you don't see any protests against the Olympics, which is something good. It showed that people are supporting the Olympics. There's no scandal involving the Olympics. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm very optimist. Obviously, we're, we're talking now more, much more about operations of the city. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a huge event, much, much bigger than the World Cup. And World Cup was like a holiday for us. Yeah. Seven games, you know, one stadium. Yeah, uh, very disciplined uh, fans, you know, coming out, Russia and France. I mean, yeah. uh, so, I mean, we're very excited about it. 
Yeah, as you know, football is very important in Brazil, and I'm sure you saw the comments of Rivaldo saying that people should not even come to Rio during the Olympics. And I believe he referred to corruption, he referred to public health, and he referred to crime, and he just said, don't come, we have too many problems. I want to give you the chance to respond to uh, Rivaldo. I will not respond to him. That's his opinion. I respect his opinion. My opinion is different. Come to Rio, it's going to be great. <laughs> just, just pay attention to what the, the, the report of the nation has to say about Rio, and then you will come. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, th th this, is, this is something important. We never, never, ever try to, sell a try, to sell, try to sell a perfect city. Mm -hmm. I mean, Rio faces many problems. The reason we got the games uh, was because of our problems. I mean, when, when we were disputing against Chicago, Madrid, and Tokyo, what we said is if you want to make difference, the Olympic movement, uh, you've got to come to Rio. Mm -hmm. I mean, because uh, this is a city that lacks lots of infrastructure. So you cannot come to Rio and compare Rio to Tokyo. To, mm. I don't know where Rivaldo is living now. Mm. Where is he living now? Somewhere, not I don't here. Know, somewhere, Kazakhstan, yeah. something like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not a city in the first world country. We're a city with a lot of problems. We never had our problems. So don't come and expect a perfect place. You can come and expect an amazing place. You know, a city of celebration, a beautiful city uh, with nice people. And, and I mean, if I were in, in people's places, in people's place, I would come. Now, now, you have said, and I'm almost quoting you verbatim, you said that you guarantee that there is no corruption involved with the construction of these Olympic Games. You said you guarantee it. Yet, when you read the news and you learn that, you know, about over about 60% of people in the Congress are being investigated for corruption issues, corruption is endemic in the country, it's a little hard to believe that this huge project, that is the Olympics, this $10 billion project, is somehow exempt from the corruption that's in the country, especially when so many of the same construction companies that are involved in the you know, car wash and whatnot are also involved in the Olympics? I mean, uh, what I can say, uh, I guarantee about this, the constructions of the city, you know, I'm saying most of it, most of the Olympic venues and constructions are being built by the city, but not all. I mean, there are some mm. from the state level, some from the federal level, so I guarantee from a city perspective. And I mean, again, I guarantee that. Mm. Got a way to see it. Now, I, I mean, you know that the the Rio City Council they've started this commission to investigate, and um, it coincides with, of course, the, the tragedy with the cycling path. And I think people look at what happened with the cycling path, and they see that's evidence of shoddy construction. It cost a tremendous amount of money. Isn't that usually a recipe for corruption when those factors come together? I mean, we have we have we have a, we had a problem. I mean, first, this uh, cycle track had nothing to do with the Olympics at all. But part of the legacy project. No, it was not even the legacy project. You look at the legacy list; it's not there. Uh, it's it's a city uh, construction for the city for the Cariocas. Obviously, it's always, always nice for the tourists to see it. So it was not an Olympic construction. Uh, not everything in Rio is about the Olympics, but uh, I mean, obviously, when you when you do things when you do the Olympics, it's like. It seems like everything you do, it's about the Olympics. So it has nothing to do with the Olympics. And it's a shame that happened. So we're investigating. It had enough time to do it. Actually, it was delayed for six months. The price was right. It was already checked by most of the courts that do with that. I think we have an engineer problem there, you mm -hmm. know, that didn't get uh, the possibility of that kind of wave reaching there. So uh, we're investigating. And uh, we're going to find the ones that are guilty for that tragedy and, and the death of two people. Concremat, of course, is the company that built it. Uh, the family that started Concremat, as you well know, you know, very connected with you and tourism and whatnot. Um, do you feel like that gives off a bad appearance no. in any way? I mean, it's not very connected to me. I mean, my secretary of tourism, he's from the family of this company. I mm. mean, uh, I cannot prohibit a company because my secretary of tourism that has nothing to do with the construction, uh, it's a relative of them. So they participated on a tender, public tender. They won the tender. They are a 60-year-old company, well-known. Actually, they work a lot for the organizing committee. If you ask the IOC guys, it's one of the companies that they like the most. Mm -hmm. They work a lot with the IOC. They work a lot with the organizing committee. It's a well-respected company, 60-year-old, and they can participate in tenders. Even, I think it would not be uh, nice if they, could, they would participate in the... Uh, tenders that the Secretary of Tourism is doing, but there's, I mean, they work for the city. Mm. Uh, again, but if they are guilty, I mean, it doesn't matter if he's relative of the, my Secretary of Tourism, uh, he's going to be a big, big problem.
Mm. I, I got to ask you the question about removals and displacement, because like I said, I've covered a lot of Olympics and it's an issue with every Olympics. Mm -hmm. I speak to some of the social activists in Rio and they give the number of over 20,000 people have been removed directly for Olympic projects. What number can you say is related to the Olympics? Oh, it's a lie. We even put it in the internet. It's, it's pretty much the same that they were saying about the golf course. It was a big environmental crime and this and that. So they went to the judiciary system and then we won the action. I don't know the, the, the court thing that they did. So it's pretty much the same. So what we did was we, we built a dossier, everything there that we did. The only thing, the only uh, removal that we had connected to the, Olympic, uh, to, to the Olympics was Villa Autonomo by the Olympic Park. Mm -hmm. There were 900 families living there. We had to remove 300 families. And uh, 600 fam families, they made even petitions to leave. Mm -hmm. So there's 24 families that didn't want to leave by the end. Now we're building 24 homes for them. Mm -hmm. Because I promised the ones that didn't want, not want to leave, they could stay. And the most amazing thing is that the 24 homes that I'm, I'm building, they will not be occupied by uh, all the families. You know why? Because six of the families that stay to the end, they are asking for money now, they want to leave. Mm. So, I mean, we have, I can show you some petitions saying, so this, this has become something, it's, it's, it's even fun because in the first petition, they had a protest here. The families that didn't want to move, 600 families. So they came here and said, we want to go to the apartment, we think it's better. We want to get the disappropriation, the indemnization of the, of the construction. And so they made a petition saying, uh, international NGOs does not represent us. BBC of London does not represent us. So, I mean, it's, it's something that I, I think it's very connected to the Olympics. It's always, there's always going to be a position to the Olympics, to, to a politician, as me. So, we're not saying that we did everything perfect, but mm. the only disappropriation, removal, that we needed to do for the Olympics, it's the Olympic Park and it's Viloto. See, I, I've been going back to Vilotodromo since about 2012. And one of the things that people have said there is that they felt forced out, that the city stopped collecting trash, that uh, the plumbing, that the, the lights, and that so it's like, yes, they were signing paperwork to leave, but they also felt very coerced to leave. And, you know, I saw a lot of sadness, a lot of tears, a lot of very real feeling. Um, what, what do you say to those families at this point? I mean, I say, I, I meet them all the time. Uh, if you want to do something, I don't know where you're living, but let's go together to the condominium that most of them moved. And you're going to see if I'm popular there or not, if they're happy or not. Uh, that's that's tomorrow. <laughs> well, so I will not be able to go. I'll, but I'll be there. <laughs> I mean, but you're going to go there tomorrow? Yes. So cool. I mean, you, yeah. you will find will everyone. Uh, find find the guys that uh, sold the homes, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's uh, it's not like that. Obviously, they were in the middle of a construction of Olympic Park. So that was one of the reasons we said this is not going to be easy. But mm -hmm. Now... I do also want to ask you this. You mentioned before the question of regrets. You said no city does it perfectly in the Olympics. What, what are some of the regrets that you have? Now you find out. <laughs> okay. We'll find that out. This is the Edge of Sports podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. We're talking to the mayor of Rio, Eduardo Paish. The community that Mayor Paish is talking about, Villa Atodromo, is right next to Olympic Park. I was there last week. Here is some audio from some of the reporting I did from Villa Todromo that we posted on the Edge of Sports Facebook page just last week. It's absolutely stunned. I'm here at Villa Todromo. It's a community in Brazil that I've been coming back to for the last four years. Four years ago, there were 800 families here uh, who were in danger of being removed for the Olympic Games. It's now down to 20 families, 20 holdouts. If you look over here at this ditch, this was somebody's house, right here. All these people that I'd gotten to know, people whose homes we sat in, people who we spoke with, they're just gone. And if you look behind me right here, overlooking Villa Autodromo, you see not only a luxury hotel, condominium, but you also see this is the media center for the Olympic Games. So the international media is literally going to be looking down on the wreckages caused by the Olympics here in Vila Autodromo. And if you look over here to this side, you'll see another area where a home was destroyed. And you see the church of Vila Autodromo. It is one of the only buildings that was allowed to uh, stay standing uh, for the 20 families that remain. And those 20 families, by the way, they have signs in their home like, we shall not be moved, uh, we will never leave, 
There's political graffiti all over the place. But even the people who are in the homes who say they'll never leave, legally, those homes are going to be torn down and then the city is going to build new homes for them right here amidst all the destruction and amidst all the debris created by the Olympic Games. And by the way, you can't see it, but just over there is the entire Olympic Park where all the events are going to take place. So you got the media center, you got a couple hundred yards that way, the Olympic Park, you got a church is one of the last buildings standing, and you have dozens and dozens and dozens, hundreds of destroyed homes all around us. As one person said to me who I just spoke with, she said that if she could say one thing to the International Olympic Committee, it would be, do they give out gold medals for destroying people's lives? So that's all I got to say. I'm Dave Zirin. I just bored some out of you. And now back to our conversation with Mayor Eduardo Paish. Um, I noticed the, the poster outside of a Rio 2016, and Vila is still yeah. represented as yeah, a yeah, community yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And it was never, as I told you, it was never, so it keeps there, stays there. It was never supposed to leave the whole community. It was supposed to stay there. Uh, I mean, that's a guarantee that I personally gave to uh, everyone. We only would have to get out the, the, the people that were on the roads, the access to mm -hmm. the Olympic Park, and by the, the areas of protection uh, close to the river. Mm -hmm. So, because it's Brazilian law. But again, you t when you talk about the 900 families that were there, we needed to remove 300 families, never the 900, 600 for romantic, for impress, and for NGOs, and this and that. So it becomes an issue. Mm -hmm. So again, uh, I personally negotiated with most of these people. I know everyone there. I just had, like, I don't know, two or three months ago, a big barbecue there with somebody in, in Parque Carioca. I mean, I have connections with the ones that didn't stay in Parque Carioca but sold their homes. I mean, yeah. most of them asked for it. What, what people wanted was, and, and they were right on that, okay, let's get the right, you know, price for our homes. Let's get a nice place to go close by, you know. And, and that, in the beginning of the discussions, there were some mistakes with the city. And I, and I said that to them. When they personally said, I mean, the way we were discussing, the, the subject was not uh, fair to them. Once, once we came uh, with nice apartment buildings, once we came with the uh, right pr prices of compensation, People just decided to, to leave, mm -hmm. you know? And, and now, uh, this 24, it's 24 homes, I think, in beauty. Six already asking for compensation. They don't mm -hmm. want to stay. Mm -hmm. Does any of the social activists that you've been talking to, where do they live? I don't know where they all live. Oh, ask them, uh, ask them, where do you live? Mm -hmm. They live in the south zone of Rio. I mean, it's a romantic view of it, you know? Mm -hmm. They are the ones that do not vote for me. The ones that vote for me are the ones that live in the favela, so. Uh, if I treated them so bad, you know, get out, get out, get out. Would they elect me two times mayor? Mm. I mean, first round, 65% of the votes. I mean, the first ballot. I mean, I'm not saying that the city, all the city employees, they don't, once in a while, they act wrongly. I mean, we had a problem in Villa Autodromo that was not good. You know, uh, I didn't know it was happening. I took it out, I, bring, I brought the guy here. It's a violent scene. Well, the guy here, excuse myself, he's leaving this apartment and he's fine there, he's happy with it. So, I mean, and we all, we're not trying to get rid of favelas. It's, it's a reality of the cities. There's favela everywhere. We're urbanizing them. So it's kind of crazy, you know? So you Our see problem. going forward, Rio is, a, is going to be a livable city for poor and working class people. I'm, I have no doubt about it. It's a, it's a much better city, but it still is. It, don't come to Rio expecting you. Uh, see completely developed. Brazil is a, it's a country with a lot of inequality. Sure. Lots of Brazilian cities are with lots of uh, infrastructure problems. We never said like, in the Olympics would solve this problem, you know? I mean, but uh, come on, look at the, in spite of all the problems in the country, we, we brought 40 million people out of poverty in the past uh, uh, 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. It's amazing, in spite of all the problems. I mean, how many kids graduated in, in public school? Inflation has become, it was a big thing. It's not anymore. Democracy has, has been institutionalized, has become something strong. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, in spite of all the problems uh, that we have, still have with equality and problems of infrastructure, if you look at all the, all the constructions, legacy constructions that are being built by the city of Rio, by the mayor, it's downtown. North Zone and West Zone, the poorest. I don't have any constructions uh, in the South Zone. 
I don't have one at all. You will not find one construction, one investment of the city in Baja or in, in Baja you find we we're doing a viaduct here. Because the cycling was not part of the Olympic legacy. No, it was not. It's not. So I mean, you, you will not find anything of the Olympics of any big construction in the south zone of Rio, you know? Not yeah. at all. It must be frustrating to have every time the cycling path is discussed in the news, it's mentioned as part well, of the Olympic I mean, legacy. I don't think it's a problem that's been discussed in the news. It's, it's sad that it happened, you know, because uh, it's crazy. It's unbelievable and acceptable, and, and we'll go deep into that. The other thing, like I said, I've been speaking to, to a lot of people, and there, there have been stories about an increase in police violence in the favelas, about police shootings in the favelas. In other Olympic cities, I'm just telling you from my reporting experience, you see this uptick in police actions in poor communities before the Olympics. Is there any connection between these police incursions and the coming of the Olympics? I mean, as you know, this is a state-level thing. It's not a city responsibility, so I don't run it, but I need to answer that question. Yeah. It's not true. I mean, if you look at the figures, uh, I mean, unfortunately, this has been a situation of Rio for much longer than, than when we got the Olympics. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is something, this is not new uh, in the city, so this is a big problem that we face. It has nothing to do with the Olympics. It is a big problem with Rio, of Rio. Mm -hmm. But not for the Olympics, not during the Olympics, but before, and as as we can look at it, it's going to still be a problem. So, uh, violence is a big problem, police violence is a big problem. Uh, the figures, they if you look at, it, at them, they all drop, but again, nothing connected to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Because Rio, if you look at this, the history of uh, big events in Rio, I mean, there, were, there was always this moment, you know, when you have the event, everything gets perfect. We had uh, the Earth Summit in 92, it was the most amazing place. You know, you could go out, it was so safe, and then this, the event would go out and the city would become violent again. Uh, that happened in the World Cup last year. That happens in every uh, event, every ma major event that the, the city hosts. So uh, this is something bad. Mm -hmm. So this is a everyday life problem for real. And I don't see, I mean, if you look at the figures at the unfortunately, I, I, I even wish it was because of the Olympics because there would be a moment but it's not. If you look at the mm -hmm. past four decades, that be, that's been a big problem, really. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the, this thing that follows the Olympics is this issue that the, the big three is usually uh, debt, displacement, and the militarization of public space. What grade do you give Rio on these three issues? Militarization of public space. Uh, means um, a greater amount of police, oh, during civil the Olympics? liberties. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I don't see civil liberties, but obviously there's going to be more police in the streets. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you know, you, and you, know, don't have, this, you don't have control over that, right? No, That's I don't have mayor. it. But, but I can, I can speak on. I mean, it, this, it's not going to be anything like when you have these big events in America, you know, mm -hmm. because of tourist oh, traps sure. and uh, even Europe. I mean, I think, I think <laughs> it's, yeah, it's. I think in this, in this matter, uh, we do better. But obviously, I mean, there's going to be more police or something military on the streets. I mean, there's terrorist threats, not because of us, because of most of the foreign nations. We want the Americans to feel safe here, you know? Mm -hmm. We don't hate the Americans. We love the Americans. You <laughs> see the, the World Cup? Uh, it's one of the few places the Americans can come and everyone's with the American flag. So we love the Gringos. If you come that's spend that's because, your money... That's because we lose at soccer, though. No, yes. man. We so that, that's when they love the Americans. We, we even <laughs> treated well the, the Germans, so I mean, yeah. you can come and, and you're going to be well treated here. And... Uh, and, and spend lots of money, especially when you spend lots of money here. They uh, would like it better. Um, I did also, I, I would be committing uh, journalism malpractice if I didn't ask just for your most basic comments about the political situation. I mean, it's difficult to even understand what's happening right now in Brasilia. I mean, maybe it's no, hard for you to explain to me. No, what, what is happening? Uh, what, I mean, I, I would, what I would do, do think about the impeachment. Are you for the impeachment? Is this no, I was never for the impeachment. I don't think it's good for the it's good for the country the impeachment, but it became necessary because of the political incapability of President Dilma, you know, to, to get things done to hold Congress. So I think what we see now it's a, it's an end of a period where politics were, were not done as it should be be done, you know, dialogue and mm -hmm. it became very stressed. So I hope this is the end of it. But I look at it and I don't. I was congressman twice. And it was never something like that. So. I cannot explain that. That's why what, what I try to do is not talk about politics, you know? As the mayor. Much, yeah, I have too much trouble, so <laughs> only talk about the city and the Olympics. Now, Olympics are historically very good for whoever the head of state is. Come this August, who is going to be the head of state, do you think? Who is going to be the person who is celebrated internationally 
uh, welcoming the world to the Olympics. Who do you think Let's it's going to be? Let's wait for tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll answer you that question. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Mayor Pius, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I do appreciate it. That was Rio Mayor Eduardo Pais. Thank you to Eduardo Pais for sitting down with us here at the Edge of Sports podcast. Thank you for speaking with us. And now the response to the points that he made from Teresa Williamson. Teresa is the executive director of Catalytic Communities, a Rio-based organization that provides media and networking support to favela communities. And she is the editor of the indispensable website, Rio on Watch. I'm just going to go through a series of of points that uh, the mayor made and ask for your general response. First and foremost, he said that you don't see protests against the Olympics in Rio like you did with the World Cup because people are happy with the Olympics. How do you respond to that? Well, you see protests every day, everybody you speak with. I mean, people are completely disenchanted, to say the least, with the outcome. But um, even street protests, the reason we don't see them is because of the huge police response to the 2013 protests. In fact, we didn't see a lot during the World Cup either. And that was because a year before, when the protest movements began, at the largest protest we had in Rio with 300,000 people, the police circled the entire downtown of Rio simultaneously at around 9.15 p.m. and started throwing gas bombs on everyone. The metros were all closed. People had to flee. It was incredibly, incredibly frightening. Yeah, I can vouch for that, too. I, I was at smaller World Cup protests, and the, um, the police presence was, was utterly, utterly staggering and terrifying. And that's for me as a, a foreign journalist. Like, imagine if you actually have to live here. Another point that Mayor Pais made is he made that guarantee where he said, I guarantee there is no corruption in any city-related projects related to the Olympics. What do you think of that guarantee? Well, how can he make such a guarantee at this point, first of all? Plus, there's investigations beginning into the Olympics corruption. The companies that were involved with the Olympic project are now some of the the main companies that have been found guilty in the national scandals. And just the way Rio operates, I mean, the amount of corruption. So it's very likely, let's put it that way, to be nice, uh, that there is corruption and it will be discovered. You probably heard that Mayor Pais said to me directly that there is no document that shows that the cycling path that tragically was torn down by a wave killing two people along the beach. He said there is no document that shows that that cycling path was part of the Olympics. And then he said, you know, with with a smile, not everything has to do with the Olympics, you know. Yet I've already found paperwork that lists the bicycle path as part of the Olympics. I guess I just want to ask you how... He feels like he can say, of course, it's not part of the Olympics and you won't find any documentation. And then within 24 hours, documentation. Yeah, it's been very problematic here. The lack of kind of legacy follow up. We see things like with the cycle path over and over again, where the city says it's a legacy project until it doesn't work out. And then all of a sudden they deny it was a legacy project in the first place. And that um, has happened with Morach Carioca, which all the favelas were supposed to receive the basic services they needed. by. Can, can you just say what Morach Carioca is a basic definition? Because that's a, that's a phrase used all the time in Rio, but I'm worried people won't know what it means. Yeah, it's a city program called Morach Carioca. It means living Carioca, Rio, like a Rio living. And it's a program that was meant to bring in all the missing services that favelas need that are currently underprovided, like good water, electricity, sewage, schools, clinics, etc. And that was one of the legacy promises. It's still listed as a legacy promise on some of the city's materials and website, even though they deny that it's now a legacy project. And that's happened with a number of things. Mm. Now, you also heard Mayor Pais like, call it a lie, the idea that there have been 22,000 removals because of the Olympics. He said, other than Vila Todromo, there have been no removals because of the Olympic Games. How do you respond to that? Actually, it's 22,000 families. It's over 77,000 people. And that comes out of city data that were analyzed by academics at a couple of federal universities in Brazil. So these are their data. 
Now, I think what he tries to claim is not the case is that these are related to the Olympics. They're clearly related to his administration, and it's the largest period of evictions in Rio history has been his administration, even more so than the military regime that was known for removals in favelas. And he claims that that's for improving the city for the residents, but that it has nothing to do with the Olympics. The reality is that when the Olympics decision was announced, it all of a sudden created a pretext that made it possible for the mayor to get away with this sort of forced evictions on this scale, which he would have never been able to get away with in a regular period in Rio because we have strong squatters' rights all the way from the constitutional into local legislation because for years favelas had been recognized as it being better to improve them rather than to remove them by Brazilian engineers, architects. It's well known that his administration has removed all of these communities and that... But he says those removals are not related to the Olympics. How do you respond to that? Well, a huge portion of them were for the BRT Trans-Olympic Highway. So that's a highway that's linking the airport to the Olympic area, and it's named after the Olympics, an Olympic legacy project. So yes, it's for the Olympics. The Olympics has made it possible as well. The World Cup of Stadium area, that was another area that suffered evictions of several thousand in the region. So these are definitely Olympic-related. Now, as far as the BRT, the rapid transit line, you you heard him on the interview. He said that no poor people were displaced because of the BRT, that the BRT was actually for the poor and it will improve the quality of life for the poor. And the only people whose lives were disrupted by the BRT were middle-class families. How do you respond to that? There were middle-class families, and those were actually compensated at market rate for the most part, but the majority of the families were favelas. And yeah, they might have been middle-class as well, because not everybody in a favela is living a miserable existence. In fact, favelas have a lot of middle-class and a lot of wonderful development qualities as well. But he's playing fast and loose with those definitions of class, probably for a, a U.S. reporter, you might say. Uh, Yes, absolutely. And also the reality is when you were from a favela, you weren't justly compensated. So uh, Mm. most of these were favela areas and in favelas, people were not given market compensation. They were given uh, the kind of compensation based on the built value of the home. So in other words, they were compensating people for the bricks and concrete. So you had literally people receiving something like $2,000 for their home. Mm. in many of these areas. Now, the community that we kept discussing that he acknowledged was uprooted for the Olympics was Villa Todromo. And, you know, he, you could hear it on the on the tape. Like, he, he's very, very agitated to make sure that, that, you know, as he puts it, the record is set straight on Villa Todromo. And one of the things that he thinks the record needs to be set straight on is, as he said, that he's very popular among those removed for Villa Todromo, that people in Villa overwhelmingly, not everybody, but overwhelmingly wanted to leave and that they signed this petition saying international NGOs do not represent us. BBC London does not represent us. We want out. How do you, how do you respond to that narrative? Because that's a big overarching narrative about how this community was removed. Did you see how nervous he got when you told him that you were going to be visiting the next day? The reality is that that's not the case. When you talk to, you know, he never visited Villa Autodromo during this entire five-year period, not once. He hasn't spoken to residents. He had a number of people working under him that would constantly be visiting the community and pressuring residents, intimidating residents, frightening residents. These accounts are published online. We've seen even death threats, not from him, obviously, but from people affiliated with his government. So the amount of threat that was involved in this community to remove them, there's no justification. Now, he did get, from our calculations, we've been working with residents there since the Olympic decision. Uh, From our calculations, about 10% of the initial community did want relocation. And that would have corresponded to about 60, 70 families. Okay. He said 600 families. And that's just not true. So the reason he had to increase the compensation offers to multiple apartments per family or up to market rate compensation was because people were unwilling to go. And even through pressure, eventually he had to increase compensation offers more and more and more and more. Even then, people didn't want to go, but ultimately took it. 
and you know we can find you many cases of this. Mm. People heard the interview. He had a particular contempt or frustration for, uh, as he put it, you know, the social activists, the university students. And he said that I should go to the social activists and ask them where they live. They don't live in favelas. As somebody who's immersed in these movements and um, in these struggles, how accurate is that, that the social activists only live in IPA and Leblon? Uh, who's claiming to speak for the poor is the mayor. The activists that are supporting these communities are simply supporting these communities. These communities have a voice. They're just not listened to by the government. And so activists have responded. Universities have responded. The international community has responded. And this is a way for him to simply deny all of that, pretend it doesn't exist, to make himself feel better about very, very painful things he's done under his administration. Can you bear witness to the extent of the amount of people who actually live or lived in favelas and their social activism? Yeah. Because, because to the mayor, it would be like it didn't exist. No, absolutely. At any of these meetings, the people that are there are people from favelas, whether it's Colectivo Papo Reto in the North Zone fighting police violence, they're all favela members. Or even the Popular Committee on the World Cup and Olympics that has a lot of academics, there are many favela members. The Catholic Church is, has a, an extension wing that supports favelas. Most of the people in the organization are from favelas. All of these institutions, as well as the individuals fighting and the communities fighting these evictions, have been from favelas or had a high presence of people from favelas from all over the city and region. And in fact, a lot of the support that people have gotten who are fighting eviction is from other people in other favelas who have successfully fought eviction and have been sharing strategies. So very, very involved in Vila Autogamous struggle are residents from neighboring communities who have fought eviction and also other parts of the city and vice versa. So it's not rare, for example, to be at a Vila Autogamous meeting and have leaders from Babilonia or Vilunia Curicica or Arroio Pavuna or Recreio Dois or a number of other favelas at the meeting joining and thinking about strategy and vice versa. Uh, it's a huge network we have in Rio. Civil society here is very strong and a huge portion of that is people from favelas. Mm. But one other thing that the mayor said is he said, and I'm, I, I didn't ask him, do you see a future of a Rio without favelas? But that's certainly something I hear people say a lot who are favela activists. And it was almost like he was anticipating that question because he said that favelas will always be a part of Rio we just want to bring them in. And how do you respond to, to that statement, to that perspective, and what you think the mayor means by that? I think he says that because he thinks it sounds good. His behavior is very different from that. He behaves in a way that uh, if he could, he would remove all favelas. However, since he can't, he makes some political moves in certain favelas in, to get votes because they're necessary and so on. Now, in terms of the concept of bringing them in, I agree that favelas need to be integrated into the city. However, they are already part of the city. They're not separate from the city. They're all over Rio. They've been around for over 100 years. People who built favelas have much more of an attachment to their neighborhoods than people from other types of neighborhoods in Rio. These are much more consolidated neighborhoods and functional than people ever imagine. And so it's not that they are marginal they aren't at all. They are marginalized uh, by a small elite, by the administration. And so, yeah, we'd like to see these communities integrated into the city, but not in a way that the elite established, but in the ways that the communities themselves would desire, you know, through very strong community participation, uh, not just consultation, but actually communities taking control and the lead in how they develop, because these communities are, by their nature, self-developed. And so after generations of this, uh, you can't just come in with an outside approach. You have to respect that local nature of each of these communities. Mm. Because of the political turmoil in Brasilia, former President Dilma Rousseff was, was impeached, a very unpopular man named uh, uh, Michel Temer. 2% of the country would vote for him. He's now the interim president. There is always a political face to every Olympics, and the political face will be Eduardo Pais. The world is going to get to know this man um, over the next several months. And then he's going to Colombia for a year, and then a lot of people expect him to run to be president. Has he earned your vote? Well, no. 
Eduardo Paes has not earned my vote. I believe that you can't have somebody who says one thing and changes. And, you know, I think ultimately he's an exceptional marketer. And I think that is his number one skill. And unfortunately, that means that a lot of people have suffered because it did take a while even for the media to catch on to some of the things that were going on in the international community. Fortunately, that's changed. I don't know how he'll do as a presidential candidate. So much is changing in Brazil right now and in the next couple of years, and it's almost impossible to have an idea what's going to be happening in a week, much less two years from now. So, you know, if, if somebody I knew from another part of Brazil were thinking of voting for him for president, I would send them all the materials that we've accumulated here in Rio about his legacy and invite people to come and check it out for themselves. And if you want to build a more exclusive, segregated place and you want to push people to the fringe and that is your, your approach to solving problems, then uh, he may be your man. You know, one question I did not ask Eduardo Pais, one question I have not asked you, one issue that has not come up all week as I've been talking to people is the number one issue that people talk about in the United States when they talk about the Olympics in Brazil, in Rio, and that's the Zika virus. How do you explain that gap between what people in the United States are, for lack of a better term, buzzing about and the fact that, you know, I'm here in Rio this is the mosquito season, and there, there's no hysteria here over it, the people most likely to be affected. It's not what people are talking about. It's not the concern that people are raising. I guess our problems are just so much greater, and people are accustomed, it's a tropical climate. People are accustomed to dealing with mosquitoes to some extent and coexisting with the illnesses that they may bring. It's not a good thing, but it is. And, you know, just thinking broadly about Zika when people say, oh, Zika in the Olympics or sewage in the Olympics or, you know, some of the other issues that come up, violence, and is it going to be safe for tourists? All of these issues, to me, it's, it's going to be fine for tourists. You know, if that's what's worrying you, come on down, because August is low season for mosquitoes, and the sewage may make a few athletes ill, but it's not going to create massive problems for people being exposed for such a little period of time, and the violence won't affect tourists because the city's always kept very, very safe for these kinds of events. Uh, during the 92 Earth Summit that Eduardo Paz mentioned, they actually street cleared children off the streets and sent them far away, and that's how they made it feel very safe. So there's a history here of that kind of thing. So it won't be a problem for the tourists. The problem, all of these are problems for residents. You know, mm -hmm. the residents have to live with Zika and a growing health threat. The residents have to deal with sewage, contaminated waters year-round that they're constantly bathing in uh, and going to the beach and going to the ocean and being exposed to if you're in a low-income community when the sewage may be in an open canal nearby. The residents are the ones who are affected by the militarization of the city mm -hmm. and the police that are left and that end up being trigger-happy and unfortunately killing a lot of innocent people in favelas. Um, and so those are the people who are affected by these things. So... If you're uh, thinking about coming to the Olympics, your default position or your reflex position should not be, what about us, basically? Exactly. Your yeah. reflex position should be, wow, what about these folks who live with this all the time? And maybe I can care a little bit more about them and learn more about them and follow them after the Olympics. There's a lot of fear on the part of people involved here in Rio that the spotlight will shift. Everybody will move. Nobody will look at Rio anymore. And we're going to be left with all of these problems. And obviously, with the debt that this is going to leave behind in, in a struggling economy, we're not going to see many investments in Rio for the next couple of decades, I think. And unfortunately, we lost our chance to have solid, useful investments that benefit people. Bandeira branca, amor Não quero Thank you so much, Teresa Williamson. There you heard it. The battle for the narrative of Rio. You heard Mayor Paish. You heard Teresa Williamson. You can use your judgment as to who you find more credible. And stay tuned to this story because we are going to be on this from now through the games and beyond. And I'll be returning to Rio for the games in August. So we are just getting started. 
Bondade só pra ver transpor Maldade para os demais Vem meu amor Cante com ardor Não quero paz And now some choice words about the Olympics and the Zika virus. So when I was in Rio, I was interviewing people all over the city about displacement and police violence. Yet one of the hottest points of discussion emerged from outside of the country. And this is a proposition made by Canadian law professor Dr. Amir Ataran in the Harvard Public Health Review that called for moving or at least postponing the Olympics to prevent the global expansion of the Zika virus currently exploding in Rio. The Zika virus is primarily spread through mosquitoes and has been proven to cause horrific birth defects. The World Health Organization has already advised pregnant women to not travel to Brazil, and Dr. Ataran contends that moving the games would slow its transformation into a global pandemic. Yet the favela residents, social activists, and healthcare professionals whom I spoke with, none of whom were Olympic boosters, believe this argument to be absurd. As Dr. Rodrigo Brindero, who's the director of the Biology Institute at the Federal University of Rio, said to me, the idea of isolating Rio and moving the Olympics simply just does not make sense if your goal is to keep the spread of Zika at bay. Rio is a global city that receives 5 million tourists every year. One million people came to Rio during Carnival last February alone. In other words, the cachaça is out of the bottle. To be sure, the Zika virus is a serious public health issue, and I don't want to be seen as downplaying that in any way, shape, or form. But it's important to speak frankly about who is the most imperiled and how to stop its spread. It is not possible to isolate Rio from the rest of the globe, but it is possible to isolate the virus with changes to public policy. Zika is primarily ravaging population-dense poor communities with inadequate sewage. Wealthy tourists and athletes in hyper-controlled, highly fumigated environments are at relatively low risk. As Dr. Brindero emphasized to me, only investment in infrastructure, mosquito control, and public health can slow its spread. What is most frightening right now is how the current political and economic crisis in the country could only serve to make this situation worse. I was in Brazil as Workers' Party President Dilma Rousseff was removed from power. And the word used in the streets was not impeachment, but coup. As Christopher Gaffney wrote in the New York Times, with President Dilma Rousseff's temporary removal from office pending her trial before the Senate, her health minister was replaced, along with the rest of the cabinet. The state of Rio's public health secretary had already reduced its budget by 30% at the beginning of 2016. Many emergency care facilities are operating on reduced schedules and lack of basic supplies because of the withholding of resources to save money for the demands of the Olympics. That's what was happening before Dilma was removed. Now, what's happening right now? What's happening right now is that a new party is in power. Dilma's coalition vice president, a center right winger named Michelle Temer, a man who recent polls indicate would receive only 2% of the vote if he was running for president today a deeply corrupt, deeply compromised career politician who 60% of the country already wants impeached. Without anything resembling a popular mandate, Temer has presented a series of sweeping reforms to slash pensions, weaken labor laws, and freezing the minimum wage. Most alarming is the fact that Temer wants to shrink the budget, the already shrunken budget, earmarked for public health. Those worried about the spread of the Zika virus should be far more afraid of this regime than the damn Olympics. They should recoil in fear over a new government with no commitment to the one action that can curb the spread of Zika, reducing economic inequality and investing in sewage as well as health care. Couple Temer's unelected agenda with the displacement and hyper-militarization that I witnessed, and there is no shortage of reasons to protest the summer games in solidarity with the people who will be marching in the streets of Rio. But we have to identify what the problem actually is. It's inadequate sewage, and it is poor sanitation, and it is the lack of political will and funding to actually isolate and kill the mosquitoes that are spreading the Zika virus. The problem is not the Olympics. Believe me, 
I am hardly someone who rings the Olympic gong. If you want to boycott or postpone these Olympics over debt, displacement, or militarization, sign me up. But doing it over Zika, honestly, that's like getting shot in the arm and thinking that the cure is penicillin. Quanto tiro, quanta polícia. A tropa de choque em ação. Ditador de helicóptero. E no meio da cidade, um monte de caveirão. And now the Just Stand Up Award. The Just Stand Up Award goes to the website Rio on Watch. I mentioned it earlier in the show. Teresa Williamson is the editor of it. No matter whether you agree or disagree with what Teresa Williamson said, you should go to and support www.rioonwatch.org. It is indispensable community reporting on Rio and deserves all the credit in the world for the kind of media it does. Foi bom te ver na DP Estão prendendo um monte Até mídia ninja dançou Ele é aquele P2 Que se infiltrou E Molotov jogou A mesma Thank you, everybody, for tuning in this week. Thank you, Kate Steiker Ginsburg, who arranged the interview with Eduardo Paish. And an extra double XL thank you to Zach Zill, my partner in Rio. You can follow me on Twitter at Edge of Sports. You can always send us email to edgeofsports at slate.com. And please subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice so you never miss an episode. Last week, we had a tremendous conversation with Pink Floyd founder Roger Waters. So please go back and hear that show if you missed it at edgeofsportspodcast.com. Edge of Sports is produced by Dan Bloom for the Panoply Network. I'm Dave Zirin. We are out of here. Peace. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.